The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
everybody. It's so good to see more and more faces in the sanctuary. Thank you all for your patience this week. Those of you who wanted to be here registering as we try to figure out how to have folks back in the sanctuary safely. It's so good to see you here. It's so good to have all of you with us this morning. We are trying to pull the two groups of people into the same worship. So we have screens here so you all can see what's happening in various other places in the congregation's building today. And people at home, you too will be brought into the fullness of what's happening here. If there's any problems at home, please just write a note in the chat to let us know what's happening so we can try and fix it as we do this incredible juggle. And huge thanks and huge gentleness and love for Jonathan Silk, who is three people in one and heroic beyond heroic, uh, as he has been. Thanks also to Shulie and to Eric, who are on our cameras. Thanks also, <laughs> yeah, feel free to shout out. Joe Chapeau, who helped do all the registering, is also on the chat, so he's answering your questions if you have any. We want to thank our incredible set of musicians this morning. Mark Sumner pulled together this array of music from some of the many musical traditions that are present in the Indian subcontinent in the flow of culture and um, richness of that place across time. So for instance, this morning, the prelude and postlude were from a group of Unitarians who are in the Kasi Hills of India, over 25,000 of them in a remote place with this rich interpretation of Unitarian Universalism. And we're so glad to have them as part of this worship service over 10,000 miles away. We also have our incredible choir and we have two guest musicians here today. They're in our chapel, KG Singh and his son Puran a father-son team of musicians that are bringing us incredible music that they'll tell you something about today before they offer it up to us. And we're so grateful to have them with us. Thanks to Sam King, 
my worship associate this morning, and to Thomas Brown and Dan Bernard, who are making sure the building functions for us this morning, and to Amy Kelly for the stunning, stunning flowers that bless our sanctuary this morning, to everybody, everybody who's made this morning possible. I am Vanessa Southern. I am the senior minister of this congregation. It's great to have you all here. And if you're a first-time visitor, a special welcome. And let us begin by lighting a candle, as we have each week since the stay-at-home orders have been in place, in honor of all of you, uh, both here as well as remote, bringing your spirit into this place until such a time that we might all be here together again. Welcome.
Now please join me in saying our unison chalice lighting. The words are printed in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Now for a few brief announcements. Uh, if this is your first time attending or watching, welcome, and thank you for joining us. You can follow along in the order of service, which is available uh, online in the description of uh, this video, and is also emailed to everybody who receives our newsletter, which you can get by signing up through a link to our connection form that's in the order of service and video description. There are also upcoming events listed in your order of service, and I wanted to highlight a few of those from you. Uh, first, please join our virtual coffee hour after the service. You'll see a Zoom link in the order of service and in the chat at the end of the service. If you're thinking of joining in one of our small groups, you can also join a breakout room at coffee hour and ask questions. The groups are six to 10 people and meet twice a month for a check-in and as a question to dive deep in together. It's a great opportunity for depth and connection. Also, today after service, there are two programs that I wanted to draw your attention to. At 1 p.m., the all committee chairs and leaders who want to join our Council for Committees meeting. It happens twice a year to get you some basic updates and information about leadership and the year ahead. Joe can get you the link if you need it. And also, at 1 p.m., Reverend John Burens is facilitating the second of the sessions on our homelessness and housing crisis which is something that our governor uh, has promised to make a priority. Please join and we'll see a way forward to meaningfully lean into this basic issue of human rights and human dignity that is very present and acute in our hometowns in the Bay Area. I also want to commend you in general for the renewed work and vigor of our human rights working group. Folks in the working group will be working in coalition with local groups in San Francisco, participating in broader events, and culminating with a National Women's March to be held on October 2nd. Please read about it in your flame and monthly newsletter, and also join our Rush Hour Witness on the Steps of the Church Wednesday at 9 a.m., focused for the next two weeks on women's right to choose. Finally, please put the service on October 3rd on your calendars. At 3 p.m., the official installation of Vanessa as our senior minister will be happening then. More information and a live stream link will be forthcoming. It'll be a joyful event, though what exactly it will look like is uh, continually evolving. I believe that is all that I wanted to call to your attention. So now let us center ourselves in worship by singing our meditation on breathing. The words are in your order of service and you can listen to our song leader if this is your first time singing it and join in as we sing through a few times together. Uh, and again, in person, you can hum along.
while we are all having to relearn the habits of what it means to begin to be in this space, and I believe one of them was that we would rise in body if we were able, or spirit, to say our covenant and hum our doxology, if you're here, sing it at home. So let's stand as you're able, body or spirit, as we say together our covenant, the words are printed in your order of service, and if you are in the sanctuary, you are allowed to speak. Let's begin. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to love one another. Recognizing there is human suffering all over this world. In the course of natural and human catastrophes, we ring our gong today in honor of two such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first as we have since July of 2019 for those lives held and those lives lost in federal custody in our detention camps for the mounting trauma to children separated from their families, for all people held without charges in less than transparent or humane conditions, in this repeat of some of the most shameful chapters in our nation's and our world's history of xenophobia, racism, and greed. We ring the gong seven times for this week of days in which human dignity has been dismissed and our responsibility for that as citizens of this country. We ring our gong additionally once for the losses this week to COVID-19. This last week, 58,299 people died of COVID-19 globally, 11,299 in the United States alone. We hold in our hearts all of these losses, each one of those people precious and worthy of health and safety and we hold with gratitude all who are working around the world to produce and distribute vaccines and all other efforts to support greater health, survival, and immunity from the virus. So much to remember and to hold. May we keep those we have named and their loved ones in our thoughts and in our prayers, and may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can.
I'd invite us into a time of meditation, stillness, center ourselves in this body, in this moment. Feel the seat against your back, feet under your ground, ground under your feet. In the headlong tumble of days, life thawing against the constraints of pandemic slowly in our corner of this globe. Life momentarily safer, though still in need of care and caution. We give thanks for breath. And hold our thoughts with those struggling to breathe. We give thanks for waking to another day of life. And we hold all those who lost life this week, either from illness or accident. At the end of a good long life or abruptly taken from loved ones in this world. May the best of all of those who have gone before run through the life beyond them. And we give thanks for the ability to reflect, to take a breath, to give thanks, for the pause between impulse and action, for the chance to choose and choose well in ways that reflect our hopes for how we would be in this world, to love better, a little better every day, to hate less, and hopefully never hate at all. to pivot anger into curiosity when we can, and fear into a chance to instead pull others close and remind us of how safe and how whole and how held we might actually always be. We give thanks for all of this, for just this. and the courage to live with boldness and big heart.
for this day, for the chance to seize and delight in it all. We give thanks. Bless this day and us in the living of it. Amen. years ago, I was camp counselor for the high schoolers at a UU summer camp. There was a nightly worship, and it was always youth-led. Some of them felt like normal UU services with breathing meditations and joys and concerns. Some of them felt like normal summer camp experiences with games and icebreakers. But as the week went on, some of those worship services were deeper and more spiritual than any other experiences I've had as a UU. One of the services was called Burning Burdens. We all processed out from the dormitories at night into a space with some seats and a campfire. We all had a paper and a pen, and the instructions were simple. Write down a burden on your paper, and when you were ready, simply walk up to the fire and throw the paper with your burden in burning up your obstacle or whatever you are carrying with you. At first, a few kids just sheepishly walked up, 
put their paper in the fire, sat back down. But then one person burned their burden and told everyone about it. And by the end, almost every kid followed suit, even the ones that had burned their burden silently at the start. Sometimes it was only a few words. Sometimes they were speaking for five or 10 minutes. Most of the worship services would take around an hour, but this one lasted until 2 a.m., until everyone had a chance to speak their piece. They had been through a lot, more than you would wish on anyone, much less a kid who had just started high school. And for many of them, the burdens that they burned were obstacles that were dominating their lives, that they had no idea how to fix, that they had never told anybody about. And this group at a summer camp, this group that didn't even know each other's names a week before, this group was where they had enough trust that they could open up and be vulnerable. And after they were vulnerable, this group was a support network. They reminded each other of hope. They reminded each other of friendship. And even if they didn't do anything different after that night, when they were throwing their burdens into the fire, they hurt each other. Fire is a powerful metaphor. In this worship and burning burdens, fire represented catharsis and cleansing, burning away the parts of ourselves that we don't need anymore so that we can be more pure, more whole, so that we have room to grow. But that isn't all. Fire can be a beacon on a hill to light the way out of a dark situation. It can be a community gathering place with s'mores and songs. It can be safety. And it did bring change. The next day, some of the kids talked to their parents about their burdens. Some of the kids were able to get help. And some of them just felt better and more free after casting their burdens into the fire. We'd like to thank the congregation for having us today. We're going to perform a couple hymns from the Sri Guru Granth Sahib, the Holy Book of the Sikhs. The first one is Mohe Na Bisaro by Baba Ravidas Ji, one of the revered saints in the Holy Book. And it references uh, asking for thanks and uh, asking for thanks and guidance from the Almighty Creator. Thank you. संगत पोच सोच देन राती मे 
ਹਰ ਸੰਗਤ ਪਹੁੰਚ ਸੋਚ ਦਿਨ ਰਾਤੀ ਮੇਰਾ ਕਰਮ ਕੁਟਲਤਾ ਜਨਮ ਕੁਭਾਤੀ ਮੈਂ ਜਨ ਤੇਰਾ ਮੋਹ 
मैं जन We have a story today as our reading. Really, it's a children's story, but as John Buren says, there are no grown-ups, just big children. So I think we can all enjoy it. The book is called Ama, Tell Me About Ganesha by, the words are written by Bhakti Martur and it's illustrated by Malshri Somani. It begins with the celebration of Ganpati, which we'll talk a little bit about today, and a child asking his parents afterwards to tell him about Ganesha. And so his mother begins the tale. Shiva and Parvati lived in the mighty Himalayas, a lofty snow-capped mountain chain on a divine peak called Kailash, towering high above the rocky terrain, Shiva was a brilliant shade of blue, dressed in tiger skin, snake at his neck, long matted hair with a crescent moon. You see, he was quite a divine maverick. He would often disappear into the wild for many, many days all by himself to meditate, leaving Parvati all by herself. One day, Parvati felt terribly lonely. How I wish I had someone to play with, she said. And suddenly, Parvati had a bright idea. I can make a play date, she said. Some sandalwood paste she molded into arms and legs, a belly and a head. The figure looked so lifelike that Parvati exclaimed, could I possibly make you come alive? Oh, how wish, I wish you were my child. Hopeful, she blew life into the figure, and a wonderful miracle took place. A boy with large eyes, dimpled cheeks, stood before Parvati face to face. Amma, you're not alone anymore, he said. My son, Parvati cried. With tears of joy, she could not believe her wonderful luck. The next morning, Shiva was still away and Parvati was going for her bath. She told the boy to guard the door. Let no one in, just block their path, she said. The sandalwood boy was so proud, ready to be on guard for his mother. And so it happened that Shiva returned home that very day and found a young lad at his front door standing there firmly blocking his way. Stop there, commanded the little lad. No one enters until my mother says so. Shiva laughed. <laughs> Do you know who I am? Child, this is my home. Open the door. I don't care who you are. I'm obeying my mother, so go away. Shiva was quite irritated and raved. Little brat, I'm in no mood for child's play. It was beneath Shiva's dignity to fight a mere boy, so he sent his attendants, the Ganas. But the brave boy defeated them all. Shiva sent Brahma to tame the boy, but as soon as the old god appeared, the naughty boy jumped at him and pulled hard at his mustache and beard. 
Ah! shrieked the god, in pain and clutching his injured face. He hurried away to tell Shiva of his embarrassing disgrace. Now Shiva had had enough. He hurled his trident in rage and off flew the boy's head. When Parvati reached the scene, she was horrified. Her cries shook heaven and earth. From her forehead sprung the goddess Kali, and together they vowed to avenge the child. Like tornadoes, they rampaged the earth, destroying everything in their anger so wild. In desperation, the mighty Shiva pleaded, heaven and earth will be ripped apart if you continue. Shiva was sent to seek the child's head and pledged not to stop until his mistake was undone. Shiva searched all over the world with no success. And finally he collapsed in despair. An elephant roaming nearby saw him and asked, why do you look so sad? Hearing the tale, the elephant, who was old and at the end of his life, offered his own head. Shiva's eyes welling up, he accepted the elephant's offer, so sacrificial, and rushed home with the elephant head and placed it on the child's body. He was running out of time. And slowly the boy opened his eyes. Hugging him, Parvati cried, my little one. And Shiva said, forgive me my foolishness. I love you, you are also my son. Since you were so brave a guard, Shiva said, I now proclaim you are the leader of my Ganas and Ganesha is your new name. May you be as wise as you are brave, said Parvati helping people in tasks old and new. May all the people who pray to Ganesha be successful and happy in whatever they do. Here ends our story. We have another hymn from the Sri Guru Granth Sahib, Me Banda Be Kharid, by the fifth spiritual master, Guru Arjan Dev Ji. Uh, it references uh, devotion to the Almighty Creator uh, and asks for guidance and thanks. I am a man जिया पिंड सब तेस दा सब किछ है तेरा जिया पिंड सब तेस दा सब किछ है तेरा मैं बंदा बेखरीद सच साहिब मेरा मैं बंदा बेखरीद सच साहिब
माणी माणी तूतणी तेरा भरवासा माणी माणे तूतणी तेरा भरवासा सचे अनटेक है जो जानो का चार सचे अनटेक है सो जानो का मैं बंदा बेकरीद सच साहिब मेरा मैं बंदा बेकरीद सच साहिब हुक्म अपार है कोई अंत न पाए तेरा हुक्म अपार है कोई अंत न पाए जिस गुरपुरा भेंट सी सो चले रजाए जिस गुरपुरा भेंट सी सो चले रजाए मैं करीद सच साहिब मेरा मैं बंदा मैं करीद सच साहिब मेरा चतराई से आणपा कित कम ना आए चतराई से आणपा कित कम ना आइए तूठ साहेब जो देवे सोई सुख पाइए तूठ साहेब जो देवे सोई सुख पाइए मैं बंदा वे करीब सच साहेब मेरा लख कर्म कमाइए किछ पवे न बंदा जे लख कर्म कमाइए किछ पवे न बंदा जन नानक कीता नाम दुर होवे छोड़े अधंदा जन नानक कीता नाम दुर और छोड़े दंदा मैं बंदा बेकरीब सच साहिब मेरा मैं बंदा बेकरीब सच साहिब मेरा मैं बंदा बेकरीब सच साहिब मेरा पिंड सब तिस दा सब किच है तेरा 
जिओ पिंड सब किछ दा सब किछ है तेरा जिओ पिंड सब तेस दा सब किछ है तेरा मैं बंदा बेकरी सच साहिब मेरा मैं बंदा बेकरी सच साहिब मेरा मैं बंदा बेकरी सच साहिब सच साहिब मेरा सच साहिब मेरा ओ आई सो विश दैट यू वर इन द सेंचुरी सो यू कुड वी कुड लुक एट ईच अदर थैंक यू बोथ फॉर दैट म्यूजिक इट वाज एक्सट्रॉर्डिनरी मिस्टर सिंह एंड पूरन सिंह थैंक यू बहुत सुंदर है धन्यवाद It also totally reminds me that listening to it that the last time I heard tabla harmonium in the sanctuary was in February. Do you remember this Jonathan right before we closed down when we had the memorial service for Ram Das? And in the green room Larry Brilliant who was a friend of Ram Das's an organizer of the service said he'd been up all night and I said were you preparing for the service and he said no I was on because he's an epidemiologist who helped um end uh smallpox worked with the um UN to eliminate smallpox he said no i was on the phone to china because of this outbreak this virus so the music took me back this time we're all beginning to gather to that moment but also it's a perfect entree into the service because It reminds me of the neighborhood that we lived in my husband and I when we lived in Mumbai for 2 years and the neighborhood we visit because a lot of our family is there and we've been visiting for years that has a park in it that is named for one of the most famous of the Sikh gurus um Guru Nanak and in that same neighborhood you can drive by a mosque or wake to the call to prayer or see goats in the shops right before a big eid is around the corner but it's a catholic neighborhood historically and up on the hill poly hill there's mount mary church and there in the church is a statue to a mary who is famous for miracles and each year there's a big festival that brings people of all different religious traditions to see her she's one of the goddesses that are said of all traditions said to watch out over the city of mumbai the city where traditions blend and intersect and there's this wide embrace despite all the goddesses watching over it i would say arguably the biggest religious festival every year in mumbai and it's 15 million people is the annual 10 day festival in honor of the hindu god ganesh ganesha who we heard about a little this morning Ganesh might be among one of the best known Hindu gods. He's certainly one of the most recognizable. The festival in honor of him is called Ganesh Chaturthi or Ganpati and it's happening right now in India. And it will end this next Tuesday, I think it is on the 21st. 
Lawrence A. Babb, a retired professor of Asian studies from Amherst College, described the festival in his book, The Divine Hierarchy, saying, the festival occurs in the early autumn when the rains have begun to slacken. Each neighborhood erects a temporary shrine in which a clay image of Ganesh is installed along with elaborate decorations. Here, puja is performed daily and prasad is distributed to families in the neighborhood. Puja, for those who don't know, is a ritual that not just Hindus, but also Jains and Buddhists will often perform at a shrine. And prasad? Prasad are the gifts often of fruit or rice or other food or flowers that are offered up, but the food then blessed by the God and some of it, most of it, redistributed back to the people to eat, to share with friends and family so they can bring those blessings home intimately and to those they love. These days in Mumbai, the shrines that Lawrence Babb refers to are in neighborhoods for sure, but not just in neighborhoods. Some people create one in their home or the apartment building next to us used to gather and create one themselves and honor the festival among all the families in the building. The murtis or the images of Ganesh in these shrines, they're believed to embody some of the divine spirit and you can buy them. I have actually some photos for you, so we're gonna try a little experiment this morning. You can buy them in shops like this where they're available, but there are also elaborate competitions in neighborhoods, so you can see larger ones that you could purchase, but again, some that are created with enormous scaffolding like this one. And you can visit, like we did, the workshops that are around the city prior to the festival to get see them displayed. And then, in the weeks ahead, they're displayed outdoors in these altars. Some are a foot tall or less, and some, like the one when it's out in its shrine, the one we saw in that scaffolding, they're three stories tall. The murtis are supposed to be made of clay, but especially now, there's a push to invite people to whatever they're made of, make them of biodegradable, environmentally friendly materials. These are some of the shrines that we came upon in our walks through neighborhoods. And a smaller one. And then, at the end of the festival, there is a day when parades gather in small groups sometimes, but also famously in large ones where people process joyfully here in the rain. The monsoon isn't completely done with music and dancing, packed with people, many of them going well into the night as 10,000 statues estimated are carried to some body of water, and there are many bodies of water, but the ocean is the most famous in Mumbai where they are immersed. You can see this one being brought by out open car toward the ocean. This huge one being pushed down the street, all to be carried into the water. In this case, Chaupati Beach is where this group is heading. 
some little ones being taken out by boat because they will then be immersed in the water and dissolve away. There's Lila and I, my daughter, at the beach at Chaupati. What you can't really see, but I wish you could in the background, are the heads of statues, the big ones still having not fully dissolved, and others being carried down by groups of people. And so Ganesh is dissolved into the ocean, this god who was made from sandalwood or mud by Parvati, it is said, who comes to be with you for a while, is dissolved back into mud and returns, it is said, to his home in Mount Kailash. Why do so many people gather for this festival? What does it mean? Well, Ganesh, as you heard, is a wonderful god, and he's popular for so many reasons, I imagine. He's so appealing, always shown pot-bellied with Indian sweets, ladus in one of his four hands, topped with that oversized elephant head. If you look closely, he should only be shown with one tusk, the other broken off, and there are many stories about how that happened. One is that he was taking dictation for the Mahabharata and his quill broke and not wanting to forget anything, he broke off the other tusk, the one tusk, so that he could continue so noble to take the dictation so the story was recorded. But another version says that the moon was poking fun of him one night and he got irritated and so he broke it off and threw it at her and that's what created the craters in the moon. So Ganesh maybe is a bit fallible like we are and full of possibilities for noble behavior too. Created amidst tumult and trauma, but also out of hope and love. And as you heard, he was blessed at the end of the story of his creation by his father, Krishna, who, along with his mother, deemed that this god would grant happiness. More so, the tradition expands that he would bless all new beginnings in life and bring happiness by also removing obstacles to our way in all ventures. He was made to be the god of wisdom, the deity who looks after scholars and writers. Everyone has at least one good reason, right? To want Ganesha's spirit brought renewed into their lives for another year. When we brought our first home, one of my husband's best friends, who's Hindu, brought us a rose quartz statue of Ganesh. This was, after all, a new beginning for us, and our friend told us to place the murti somewhere where it had full view of the front door of our home so that it could keep watch, to keep the blessings flowing, I imagine, and the obstacles remaining outside. For years, it stood on this kitchen ledge, as it has through each of our moves, blessing each of our homes in turn. And my relationship with this murti this presence has, I will admit, changed over the years. <clears throat> I realize how ununitarian universalist in some ways maybe this is. 
It occurred to me that as a Unitarian Universalist and most mainstream Protestants, which is where we draw some of our lineage, there is nothing analogous, I don't think, to what you have in Hinduism and to some degree in Catholicism. There is no religious pantheon that you can reach to for particular kinds of help. There are no altars in our tradition or the making of them that you can lay things on as a ritual way of inviting a particular god with a particular portfolio of gifts and calling to partner with you. It's either the one very busy god that you call on who has to look out over illness and war and childbirth and seasonal harvests and everything. It seems unfair sometimes to ask that God to pay attention <clears throat> to an obstacle in our lives. Or we lay it at the altar, <clears throat> excuse me, of the human forces of willpower and surrender and ingenuity in this life. In many ways, for me and for many of us, all of that is often enough. But not always. It didn't happen overnight. In the beginning, while cutting flowers that I had brought in from the yard or from the store, I'd lay a flower at Ganesha's feet or cut a piece of fruit among the fruit that we were cutting for ourselves and lay it there too. Maybe it was having seen all the altars in India that are always so rich with flowers and offerings that this Ganesh statue on our windowsill seemed kind of bereft without it. But also somehow this presence that was asked to watch over all that came through our door, it seemed to deserve some care and some respect. Well, and then came the mornings when standing at the sink as the sun was breaking through night, cleaning out the coffee pot from the day before, as I prepared to brew the morning's fresh pot, I would look out the window and I would take in the weather, and I would think about the day ahead. And some days the day would feel joyful and it would feel full of rich potential, and some days it wouldn't feel quite so much that way. Some days I would feel heavy, blocked by something I knew that I would have to face, or pessimistic about something even before the day began. And it started thinking that and looking up. I mean, here is this God who is commissioned and asked and known for removing obstacles. Well, let me offer the burden up. So standing there in front of Ganesh, I'd imaginatively set the burden at his feet. I'd set the intention that the obstacle be removed or maybe just softened a little made more generous, more part of the generative possibilities of the day ahead. And then I'd step out into the day that faced me. Of 
course, being able to name what feels like it's getting in our way, in the way of our fruitfulness or our joy, and being able to name what hope we have for how that might change is powerful. In and of itself, naming is powerful. As Einstein once wrote, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem and five minutes thinking about solutions. Similarly, my mornings at the sink, noticing that sinking feeling and asking what's in your way and what would it mean to have it moved out of your way and what would a better day look like? That was a powerful process of the kind I think Einstein is trying to name because sometimes the solution is one we can participate in if we just know what the solution might look like. But maybe there's something else at work too. It can be powerful, I think, to ask a larger force to partner with you. To hand over your burdens to the larger mystery of life when you cannot see a way forward, as so often we can't in a moment. And what better force than the elephant-headed God who's supposed to bring happiness and remove obstacles? If he can't do it, at least you brought the best in to help you do the job. After all, as Sam noted, not everything we wish to have moved out of our lives will move. Sometimes only our perspective on the thing can change. And opening ourselves up to not being alone in the struggling, as Sam's campers also discovered, can be powerful balm when there isn't a lot of balm available. The Quakers have a saying about what happens in life. Way open, they say. Not that it happens all by itself, though I suppose sometimes it does, but that in our prayer and meditative lives, we commit to doing the work of getting in touch with our inner voice setting intentions that feel authentic, asking whatever it is we ask when we don't want to be alone to be present also to this need or hope or prayer, and then settle back, not to force things to go our way, but to step into the world with all of that and how often way opens. Not always, but sometimes you burn it in the fire, that burden, and after the smoke clears, you see a way forward. And sometimes you put a murti in the waters, and when it dissolves, something else dissolves in the world or melts in you, and there's this shift And in a world of heavy burdens, a shift, a lifting, a way open, it can change the way a dawn looks and feels from your kitchen window. And that can be enough to face a new day 
So, my friends, is there something that makes your spirit heavy these days? When you stand to face the day? And if so, what would it mean for it to soften or yield or get out of the way? Offer it up, if you dare, to the elephant-headed God or the fire or the mystery of life or a trusted friend. Set the intention, I invite you, that it move over just a little to the side and offer it up and look for way open in the world. One that will help you move past it or just through it. Then, if you dare, imagine yourself singing and dancing your way to the ocean with others who are determined to be liberated from one burden or another and seize joy and new beginnings. And may the spirit of the season meet you at the water's edge and be yours, be ours. May it be so. Our closing hymn speaks to this moment in time and also this notion of overcoming obstacles beautifully. It has an origin story. A Muslim man residing in the US, Samir Badri, reached out to a composer, a Jewish man, Ted Warmbrand, and they composed a piece of music, this piece, as they were preparing for a peace rally. That was to take place, that did take place, before the bombings began in Afghanistan and Iraq. This is the song. Join me with hymn number 1032.
And now if we can remember what used to happen here, I invite those of you who are able, body or spirit, to rise as we say our benediction. And now in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us, be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.